Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one transformational page of Talmud every day. On today's page, Aruvin 74, Talmud continues this fascinating discussion about really the nature of a home and what makes a house and home. And here is the kind of strange quizzical story that we read. Come in here. There was a certain alleyway that Ivud Bar'ihi lived in, which contained only one house and one courtyard. He erected a side post for it, and Shmuel permitted him to carry in it. Following Shmuel's death, Rav Anan came and threw the side post down, thus indicating to Ivud Bar'ihi that it is prohibited to carry in the alleyway, as a side post is effective only for an alleyway that has at least two courtyards containing at least two houses each. Ivud Bar-Ihi said with resentment, The alleyway in which I have been living and walking, based on a ruling in the name of Master Shmuel, shall Rav Anan Bar-Rav come now and throw its side post away from me? The Gemara comments, Learn from the fact that this side post remained intact throughout Shmuel's lifetime, that he did not accept Rabbi Elazar's objection. The Gemara rejects this proof. Actually, you could say that Shmuel accepted Rabbi Elazar's objection and retracted his opinion. And here, there was a synagogue attendant who would eat bread in his own house that was located elsewhere, but would come and sleep in the synagogue, which was open to the alleyway. And Ivud Bar-Ihi holds that the place where a person eats his bread determines his place of residence. This is kind of a strange story. There's a lot going on. And yet, I suspect it contains some more wisdom and some more insight into the seminal question that was discussed yesterday of really what's what's in a home and to help us figure it out is Adina Fredman, a student at the executive kolal at Yeshivat Maharat, herself a two-time, I believe, two-tour of duty Daf Yomi learner, and perhaps most importantly, at least to me, is also her title as the mother of our beloved producer, the one and only Sarah Fredman Ader. Adina Fredman, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I would certainly put being Sarah's mother at the top of my resume as well. I should hope so. And so listen, this is kind of a weird story. There's a guy, he lives in a house, and you know, there's an Eruv, and another rabbi throws down the Eruv, and this this whole discussion makes sense of the story for us, and and tell us why it's important. Okay, so as you were saying, um, we're in the middle of a discussion here of what kind of houses and courtyards um, can we make an Arab to carry from that house or courtyard into the adjacent alleyway? And the question that rose right before this story is, what if there's only one house or one house and one courtyard on the alleyway? Can we make an Arab? And uh, the reason that's a question is because the word Arab itself means, right, a commingling or a mixing. When we take more than one private domain and we symbolically create one domain so that we can carry from one domain to another. Right. And by symbolically, I mean by putting up either a side post or a beam um, that indicates a connection between the domains. But when you only have one house or one courtyard with one house in it, what air, what commingling are you doing? There's only one house there, one homeowner. It's kind of the Talmudic version of, you know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? It's almost like a Zen Kwan. Exactly. So the Gemara brings a story to tell us that in Shmuel's opinion, this would be fine. The story is about this man... Ivut Bar-Ihi, who lives alone in his own courtyard and house adjacent to an alleyway, and he put up a side post, and Shmuel was fine with it. And so we could learn from here that that was Shmuel's opinion, that's fine. But unfortunately, upon Shmuel's death, 
along came Ravanan and said, and he pulled it down. He actually physically pulled down the post, indicating that this is not acceptable, that one cannot make an Eruv here. And as you would expect, the homeowner, Ivu Bari, he got very upset. He said, I've been, you know, I've been doing this all along, right? The great master Shmuel permits this. What, what, you know, what are you doing here? And the Gemara says, no, this, we're not looking at this story exactly correctly. You have to understand there was another fact going on here. There was, there was something else going on here. That on this alleyway, there's also a synagogue. And the attendant of the synagogue, the, the Shamash, he normally eats in his own home somewhere else. But then afterwards, he comes and sleeps in the synagogue, you know, probably to guard it, you know, at night from thieves. So he eats in one place and he sleeps in another place. And our question will be, what determines your home? Is it the place that you eat or the place that you sleep? So for Ivut Bar'ihi, it was the place where you eat. The attendant eats somewhere else. So he does not have a home on this alleyway. And therefore, one house is enough. But according to the rabbis, no, the place that you sleep is the place that determines your home. And therefore, since the attendants slept in the synagogue, there were actually two private domains on the alleyway. And you cannot make an Arab with one home. But in this case, there actually were two. So it was perfectly fine. And when I read this story, my gut reaction was that, yeah, I think sleeping where you sleep is probably where your home is, right? You know, that's where you end your day. That's where you begin your day. That, that kind of made sense to me. But when I thought about it, this is the case of Shabbat, right? This is where the attendant eats on Shabbat. And there is something about the Shabbat meal that's different, right? The Shabbat meal is where we make Kiddush. It's where we sanctify the day with the blessing on the wine. It's where we eat challah, right? That two loaves to remember the manna that came down in the desert, which did not come down on Shabbat. And it seems to me that perhaps for Shabbat purposes, the place where you perform the rituals of Shabbat, perhaps, should be regarded as your home. That's fascinating. In other words, because we take uh, this festive meal, because we perform the Kiddush, because all this kind of magical, transformational Shabbat moments occur over over the dinner table, it actually has a kind of, you know, special significance. Yeah, that, that struck me because remember, we're not, the Gemara doesn't tell us if the Shamash came every day, if the attendant came every day. Presumably he did. But specifically, our question is an Eru for Shabbat. And it strikes me that when we're talking about where you eat and where you sleep for Shabbat might be different than any other day of the week. I think that's terrific because that also, again, forces us to think not just about the sort of questions of daily domesticities, but also about these rituals that Jewish life sort of commands us to observe and how they, too, have really the power to completely transform our lives, right? Because they're not just things that we do just to do them. There are things that we do that really imbue our lives with a different kind of meaning and really sort of give our lives different direction based on how and where we observe them. So I, I think that question has become sharpened for us recently, for those of us who you know eat at home, sleep at home, work at home, go to school at home, right? And, and I think... Um, it's made us think a little differently. How do we separate those activities? Which are those that must be at home? Which are those that we're comfortable doing outside the home? Right. And for those of us who also perform rituals at home, I don't even mean only the Shabbat rituals, but for example, um, for prayers, right, daily prayers, I know I find that I have a specific spot in my house, which is my prayer spot. And because the reality is we were home for many of the holidays, whether it was Passover or Purim or 
the many May holidays that we celebrate at home, our homes became the center of those celebrations, whereas they may have another year may have been centered in the synagogue or in a friend's home or in a study hall. And that has changed very much for us this year. I, I too have have this place at home where I pray, but but I love the way you, you put it just now, the thought that now we have to pay attention not only to what goes on in our homes, but actually to which of these ceremonies or rituals, as minor and minute as they may be, like eating out or walking in the park, we would actually deign to perform outside of the home. In other words, there's a whole logic of, of the Arab kind of almost gets flipped on its head, right, in which the home and the domestic space or sphere becomes where we are centered and located. And everything outside of it requires a very intricate set of very Talmudic uh, disputations of what do we feel comfortable doing, what's worth taking the risk, etc. Exactly. Adina Friedman, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. I hear about you all the time, and it's nice to actually meet you. And same here. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon.